We so need to understand the Word of God these days. Uh, Word of God is being twisted, skewed, misrepresented, mistaught. You know, how many of you know it matters that you understand the directions? Amen? I read a story about um, a highway, uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, or a highway cop, uh, pulled over a car of uh, five old women. And they were going so slow. He said, I got to pull them over. They're going too slow. So he goes up to the car and they all look completely and totally terrified. And so he says to the driver, he says, ma'am, you know, uh, we usually pull people over for speeding, but you were just going too slow. And she said, but officer, I was going exactly what the sign said, 22 miles an hour. And well, the officer chuckled and said, ma'am, that wasn't a speed limit sign. That was the route sign. Route 22. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. I just misunderstood. And the cop said, well, I'm not going to give you a ticket. Just be sure you speed up. As he started to walk away, he noticed all the women in the car looked totally terrified. So he thought, maybe something's wrong. So he goes up to the driver again and says, ma'am, I can't help but notice, but everybody in the car is white as a sheet. What is the problem with them? Are they okay? And she said, well, they're probably just getting over, getting off of Route 119. Now, everybody say it matters that you understand instructions. So we're going to look at the Word of God today and learn the instructions, okay? We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's stand for the reading of the Word. And I'm going to talk to you about a gal today. Now, I, I debated over what to call her because you can call her Michael. But if you want to go Hebrew, you can call her Mikael or Mikal. Or if you want to get real Hebrew-esque, you can go Mikael. Now, I thought, I don't want to do that. That's three syllables every time I say it. So I decided just to anglicize her and go Michael. So I'm going to keep it simple and call her Michael. M-I-C-H-A-L. Now, we're going to look at this woman. Now, she's not really mean in the classic sense. But she is, she has a moment of meanness that costs her for the rest of her life. And so we're going to learn from Michael today. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12, and it says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Verse 14, then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And look what it says happened. She despised him in her heart. Now drop down to verse 20 and David's going home after having a great day of celebration. And when you go home, you want to be blessed when you go home. All, everybody in here say amen. Uh, you want to go where you're celebrated. You want to go where somebody's happy to see you, right? But look what happened. Then David returned to bless his own household after blessing the whole nation of Israel. And Michael 
the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, well, now I added that, well, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows, meaning as one of the drunks, shamelessly uncovers himself. Everybody say cold water on a great day. (laughs) Now look what David said to Michael. I'm just going to read the first uh, five words. It was before the Lord. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for all these biographies that are in the Bible because they teach us how not to make the same mistakes. They warn us. They are illustrations and life lessons for us. And Lord, we just receive right now today the word of God, what you are saying to us through the life of Michael. And we breathe a prayer church and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Tell your neighbor, it's gonna be great today. Get excited, amen. Now, now I've, I've really enjoyed this series. Uh, this series is going to be good on radio. I can tell. I, I know when we've hit when we've hit a gold vein. Uh, we need to learn from the lives of these people. We need to learn the instructions from the book. Now, this is the sixth Bible character that we've looked at. The youngest daughter of King Saul. Now, let me just kind of give you a little quick biographical sweep of her life, so you can better understand what we're dealing with when we come to this text that we just read and how she despised David in her heart and reacted the way that she did. We, we first meet Michael in David's early days. The, the young shepherd has become an inter, a, a national hero overnight. He's, he's become a legend in his own time, even as a teenager, because of the killing of Goliath. As a result of his bravery, his courage, the nation of Israel is totally taken with him. He's an overnight sensation. So much so, they begin to write top 40 songs about him, songs about his exploits. And one of those songs got David in trouble, as you know, because the lyrics said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Big mistake. Because at that point, the green-eyed monster of jealousy arose in the heart of King Saul, and he began to mark David for destruction. He begins looking for a way to get rid of him where it look like, at first like an accident. And so it, it is great news to him when he finds out that his youngest daughter, Michael, has fallen in love with David. Matter of fact, I didn't know this, but let me just give you a little Bible fact. You don't read anywhere in the Bible of a woman falling in love with a man except here, where it talks about Michael falling in love with David. It says in 1 Samuel 18, 20, now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. Now, when Saul hears about this, he's a sinister guy. He's a politicker. He, he's a schemer, and he hatches a scheme. He said, here's what I'll do. I'll tell David that he can have Michael, my daughter, as a wife, if he'll go slaughter a 100 Philistines. Now, he was hoping that David would bite the bait and go out and try to battle 100 Philistines and die doing it. And that way he gets rid of him and it all looks harmless. Well, David being an overachiever went out and killed not 100, but 200. 
And he came back and said, all right, I did it. Now I want Michael as my wife and David married into the royal family. So now the guy that Saul's wanting to get rid of is a son-in-law. Not long after the wedding, Saul's hatred of David grows to the place where he picks up a javelin like a spear and he hurls it at him and David dodges it, but David realizes, uh-oh, the jig is up, this is it, it's over, there, there's no more fun and games, the, 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 the mask is off, he hates me, he's trying to kill me, so he runs home. He goes upstairs and Michael lowers him out the window from the second story window She gets a sort of a statue, puts it in the bed, puts goat's hair on top of the statue and covers it up. And when Saul's men come looking for David, she lies. Says, there he is. He's asleep. He's not feeling well. They said, okay, we'll take your word for it. And they left. And when they finally found out what had really happened, it was too late. David had gotten away. As David disappeared into the night, time and circumstances parted he and Michael for years. David became a nomad, living in the deserts and forests, gathering a motley crew of men and turning them into soldiers and into mighty men, waiting for the vindication of God. And guess what? He waited 10 years. Michael remains in the trappings and the comfort of the palace. They're completely separated by tribulation. Now, as time wore on, King Saul unlawfully decided to give Michael to another man in marriage. That man's name was Paltiel. Don't ever name your son Paltiel, unless you're going to call him Pal. Amen? Now, it does seem that with the passing years, Michael's feelings for David have ebbed and died, and she grows to love Paltiel. She gets happy. She gets comfortable. She gets grounded in this marriage. But David didn't wait around either. While he's waiting for his own vindication and living in the wilderness, he married two times. So Michael is becoming a memory to him, and he's becoming a memory, a distant one to her. Now, as the story progresses, it goes like this. About a decade later, after David's flight and after living in the wilderness all these years and ducking and dodging the constant attempts of Saul to kill him, Saul and his sons go into a battle with the Philistines, and you know what happened. As they're battling the Philistines, Saul becomes mortally wounded, and rather than allow himself to be captured and tortured by the enemy, he falls on his own sword and commits suicide. Three of his four sons were also killed, Jonathan included, but there was one son left, and you really don't want to name your son this one, Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth. Hey, Ish, let's go. Because when Saul and his three sons, Jonathan included, died. The kingdom of Israel was shaken to the core. And there was a power play, as power plays usually happen when a nation or a church or a home or a business are vulnerable. Israel was really vulnerable, and there was a power play. And Ishbosheth, the fourth surviving son of Saul, is declared king by the leader of Saul's army, Abner. But the tribe of Judah, The tribe of Judah, out of which Jesus came, 
quickly defected from the leadership of Ishbosheth and declared David as their king. So for two years, you had two kingdoms fighting each other. The kingdom of Israel, 11 tribes led by Ishbosheth, and the one tribe of Judah led by David. And one day, Ishbosheth, um, or rather Abner, Ishbosheth's general, looked out and said, you know what? Day by day, we're losing this thing. David is getting stronger and we're getting weaker. I'm going to defect and I'm going to go over to David. And he goes over to David and he says, let's have peace. Let's make peace. Let's bring these two factions together. David said, I'll do it. Now get this. I'll do it based on one thing, one requirement. And that's it. One stipulation. He said, what will it be? He said, I want Michael back. I want Michael back. She's mine by marriage. She's with a man unlawfully. You get Michael back to me and we'll bring these kingdoms together and we'll have peace. Abner didn't even hesitate. He went straight to the house of Paltiel and Michael. Bangs on the door, informs Michael that she's going to have to leave husband home and hearth to return to David. Guess what? She doesn't want to go. And Paltiel doesn't want to lose her. As a matter of fact, one of the saddest things in the Bible, this has really gotten me so many times, this poor man, Paltiel, he loves this woman. And yet Admiral says, you got to come with me right now. So here goes, here goes Michael. She leaves the house, carrying her suitcases, walking down the street. And here's how the Bible describes it. Then her husband went along with her, weeping behind her. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, go, return. And he kind of tucked his head, turned around and returned, and it was over. I'm telling you, the Bible's got soap operas that Hollywood has nothing on. So get this, Michael first married to David, then given to another man by a bitter, vengeful father, is now years later forced away from her first, or from her the husband who really loved her, to be joined again with her first husband. Now I want you to hold that thought, and I want you to remember something with me. It's real important before we return to the text that I read at the beginning. Michael is of the house of Saul. She was raised in the atmosphere of Saul's household. She watched Saul day in and day out. This was her daddy, her father, her, her real dad. She watched the way he conducted himself, the way he thought, the way he viewed the world. She was affected by it, influenced by it, and was of it and from it. So what was Saul like? Well, it's easy to describe him. He'd always been a man who was way more concerned with appearances than he was authenticity. He was more concerned with the way things looked than the way things really were. He cared a whole lot about what people thought and not very much at all about what God thought. Amen. He had a fear of man's opinion. He was all about pomp, regal royalty, flowing robes, glittering crowns. That was Saul. He loved the look of the office of king, and he loved looking kingly royal, regal. Saul was a man who did not honor God with obedience. 
He lost the kingdom because he didn't obey the Lord. His kingship was a disaster. And at the end of his life, he even turned to witchcraft to get guidance instead of God. That was Saul. Now I want to return to the text. That gives you a background of Michael, where she came from, what some of her history was. And let's go back to this text now because here David is bringing the ark of God back into Jerusalem. That's like bringing the presence of God back into a church. Matter of fact, what the cross is to you and to me, when we think of the cross, we think of that which, that which brings us into the presence of God, into the righteousness of God, what joins us back to God. The cross makes it possible for us to enjoy the presence of God. The way we see the cross is the way they saw the ark. And so this is a great day. The ark of God has been out of Jerusalem for a long time. And David is bringing it back. And David, being a man after God's own heart, can hardly contain himself with the joy he's experiencing over getting the presence and with the presence, the blessing of God back on Jerusalem. There's a citywide celebration. It's huge. The, 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 the electricity in the air can be felt everywhere. And leading the way is King David, who the Bible says danced before the Lord with all his might. And he was wearing a linen ephah. Now, the Hebrew language puts it this way. He was twirling and whirling. The king of Israel was twirling and whirling in an ephod. You know what? Let me just put it to you simply. David was getting down. <laughs> David was having a time in the Lord. You know, David was having a major Holy Ghost benefit. David was moved. David was excited. David, David couldn't keep it in. Matter of fact, he would tell Michael later, you think that was bad? Hang around. I'm going to get worse. It goes on to describe the event. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So picture it. Trumpets are loud. So there's a bunch of trumpets just blasting away and the people are shouting where it it was like listening to an earthquake. And then here came David leading the way, jumping, leaping, twirling, whirling with total abandon before the Lord. Now, Some people have said David was inappropriate wearing only the linen ephod. But there is no suggestion that he was being inappropriate at all. Michael said he was, but the Bible doesn't say he was. He had really, what he had done, he had shed his own kingly robe in order to place all the attention on the king of kings, Jehovah God. That's what he had done. He, he was, he was saying, man, I'm not really the king as much as he is. And so get your eyes off of me. Let's get your eyes on him and let's glorify the Lord. And I like that. That's the way we ought to come to church every Sunday. Amen. We, we ought to come. It's not about me. It's all about him. That was David's motto. It's not about me. It's all about him. David didn't care what the people thought. David was worshiping God with abandon. It's at this point that Michael appears again in the narrative. Suddenly there she is. She, she, it says, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window, second story window, 
and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So there she is. Now we see Michael. And guess what, folks? The Holy Ghost is lifting the veil. And the Lord, through the word, is letting us see into her heart and her character and her personality and her values. She despised him. That's such a strong word. Despised means she looked at him with contempt, with disdain, with disgust. That's a long way from Michael loved David. This point in the story is where Michael goes out of bounds and reveals what's really down in her heart. And so this is where we can learn from her because that's why we're looking at these people, bad boys, mean girls of the Bible, because at this point, she, she gets a real mean streak. And something comes out of her that nobody was expecting. I guarantee you it was cold water on David when he came home that day. So what can we learn from Michael? What is the Holy Spirit wanting us to see in this woman? Here it is. First, I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. Michael was all about, just like her daddy, was all about appearances over authenticity. In today's vernacular, we would call Michael religious, a religious person. She was just like Saul. In fact, it's, it's interesting to me that, that when we read the account of when she looks at David out of the window, when we read the account, the Holy Ghost puts in the Bible right there, the Holy Ghost doesn't call her David's wife. The Holy Ghost calls her Saul's daughter. It says, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, not David's wife, but Saul's daughter. Look through the window. You know what I hear the Holy Ghost saying? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I think the Holy Spirit was highlighting the fact that in this context, she had become a mirror reflection of Saul. And the Holy Ghost is making a distinction for us here today. That there is authenticity. There are those who are authentically saved, authentically spirit-filled, authentically love the Lord. And there are those who are all about appearances. And to them, it's more important what you think of them than what you think of their God. When we read her bitter and cutting words to David, when he walks through the front door of their house later on at the end of his great day of celebration and joy and, man, a major Holy Ghost moment for the whole nation of Israel, when he comes walking through the front door, that's when we see her top issue was how he had not been kingly enough. That was her issue. Michael felt that he had embarrassed the office by dancing and twirling in celebration over the ark, returning to Jerusalem. She said, man, you you didn't look kingly. You looked like a fool. You looked like a drunk. What were you doing? Now, now, uh, please catch with me, folks. The presence of God had returned to Jerusalem, but, but that was not even in Michael's scope of thought. What she was concerned about was the way David had looked 
And that's why David said to her, you know what? I don't give a hoot what people think. It was before the Lord. I did it before the Lord. And folks, this is what makes the difference in people who come to church. There are people that won't come to a church like ours because they won't get their hands up. They won't say out loud, praise the Lord. They're religious. They stand there like wooden Indians, God's frozen chosen. They don't want to let down their distinguished distinction. They're concerned that somebody from another business in the city is going to see them acting like one of those. But folks, let me tell you something. I want a church with the spirit of David, not the spirit of Michael. You know, just a few weeks ago, we, we had a great time in praise. And here, here's Letitia, but Jesse, her husband, was sitting right in that chair, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And before I knew it, he was dancing around his little area there. He just cut loose. And I noticed a few people looking at him like, oh my gosh, what planet did he come from? But I was thinking, the Spirit of God has come upon Jesse. He is dancing before. Listen, when you're going to worship the Lord, you got to let your self-awareness go. you, you got to just say, he's more important than I am. When I first came into the things of God and God filled me with the Holy Spirit, it took me months to get my hands from here to half-mast. To all the way up and abandoned. But when I, I realized when I got my arms up all the way and abandoned, it was like I had put a lightning rod up in the sky. And the power of God hit that lightning rod. And I experienced, when I forgot about myself and made it all about him. That was David. You know, I guarantee you, God wants to get David on us and get Michael off of us. Amen? Amen. Michael typifies the church person. Who's more concerned with what other people think than what God thinks. As a matter of fact, they're more concerned with other people knowing that they were in church rather than being there for the Lord. Michael was the type of religious person that would have never raised her hands to God in worshipful abandon. She would have never clapped for joy. She would have never praised the Lord's name out loud. That wasn't queenly. That wasn't royal. That wasn't regal. She was totally untouched and unmoved by the fact that the ark of God was coming back, which meant the blessing of God and the presence of God. She didn't care about any of that. It meant nothing to her. All she cared about was how David looked in front of the people. So the first thing we see in Michael is the Holy Ghost letting us know you can be a Michael or you can be a David. We're going to see at the end of this story that Michael was barren the rest of her life. But David went on to bear much fruit, and out of his lineage came the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So if, if, ask yourself today, am I really, am I a Michael or am I a David? Am I always worried about what people think of me, or am I more concerned about what he thinks of me? I care very little about what people think but I care a whole lot about what he thinks. Paul the Apostle said, I don't even judge myself. The one who judges me is the Lord. He said, it's a small thing to me to be judged by you. My concern is, what does the Lord say about me? That was David. So appearances over authenticity ruled Michael. 
Second thing I see here is there's a reason for this. Michael had no personal relationship with God. She couldn't begin to enter into David's joy over what was happening to Israel that day because it was a great day, an amazing day, a defining moment day, a revolutionary day for the ark to come back. She couldn't rejoice over it. She couldn't identify with it. She could not connect with David over this. You know why? Because she had no relationship with the Lord. She was in, watch this, she was in a house of God, the house of King David, but she didn't know the God of the house. Let me take it further. The woman, Michael, was lost in the house. Always hearing about God, witnessing her husband's devotion to God, but never experiencing it herself. When I read about Michael, I think of all kinds of church folk who come to church, sit there week after week, and I'm not talking about any of you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not talking about you. People start getting paranoid, especially the back row people. But there's all kinds of church folk. They come to church and they think because they go to church that they know the God of the house. But a place doesn't get you saved. A name gets you saved. A cross gets you saved. A person gets you saved. Not sitting in a chair or a pew. Not taking of the communion elements. In 2 Timothy, Paul prophesies something. He tells us in 2 Timothy, he, he looks way down the tunnel of time to the last days before the return of Christ, and he prophesies that there's going to be many Michaels in the last days. He says, he describes them, 2 Timothy 3, 5, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Catch that. They'll act religious. They like the appearance they like the way it looks to, to, to walk into a church and to sit down and, and to drop in your, your tithe and to do religious things. They love the religious appearance. But when you look at the inside of their life, they're really not walking with God at all. It's all a show. It's all a mask. It's all an appearance. And Paul said they are going to flourish. Michaels are going to flourish in the last days. Acting religious, but rejecting the power. And that's what she did. She loved the pomp. She loved the show. She loved the appearance. But when the power went by her window, she rejected it. I mean, there went the ark right by her window. It's like Jesus walking by. This was Michael. She had no heart whatsoever for God. She cared only for the pomp and the power of the palace. She couldn't understand David's heart of worship. She couldn't grasp what all the excitement was about. As Paul the Apostle writes, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand the spiritual things of God. So when we get in here and we praise God and we lift our hands and we are worshiping a person, somebody lost walks in and says, they're crazy. I don't understand this at all until the Holy Spirit touches them. But I got to say something here. 
Michael is a woman that my heart really goes out to. This is a little aside, but I, I had to put this in here. All but one of the key men in her life used her. Her father, Saul, used her to try to have David taken out. She was used. She was a chess piece, a pawn. David used her to marry into the royal household. And then David used her again to consolidate his new power as king over Israel. Use, use, use. And the only man that had ever loved her, she was ripped away from so that another man who didn't love her could succeed. But there's something sadder even than that. The sadder thing about Michael is she had no personal relationship with God to carry her pain to. So she wallowed in her pain. She wallowed in resentment. She wallowed in bitterness. She died a bitter, angry, resentful old woman, barren, because she had no God to take it to. I don't know how people these days, well, I do know how they do it these days. Here's how people do it these days if they don't have God. They try to numb their pain. They numb it by drinking it away, smoking it away, shooting it away, snorting it away, popping it away. Try to numb the pain and the hurt of living in this world that's not fair, that always cuts you up, that always slices and dices you, where people betray you, where others wrong you, where it looks like there is no meaning. I don't know how anybody does it without having the real, living, vital God to turn to and say, Lord, I'm in pain, and then having the healer of our heart reach down and make us whole again. That's why I'm glad to say there's a healer in the house today. I said there's a healer in the house today. And he's the binder up of the broken in heart. Michael shows us that you can be in the house of God, but not know the God of the house. You can see the food on the table, but never eat the food on the table. You can be close to the fountain, but never drink of the fountain. You can know about the Lord of salvation, but never know the salvation of the Lord. That's what Michael shows us. Michael shows us the danger of assuming all is well with your soul just because of where you are sitting in a church pew, going to a religious function, doing good deeds. None of those things introduce you to the God of the house. You all know what does? It's an old rugged cross. Watch this now. The cross, I say this a lot, but I'm always going to say it. Matter of fact, I can't wait to get on the outside of our building. We're almost finished with upstairs. And as soon as we're done, we're going to the outside, and we're going to put up a 40-foot, a beautiful white cross right up the middle, right here out the front door, where you will see it clearly from the highway. You know why we're going to have a cross? Because that's the way you get to him. That's the way you meet God. You don't meet God hugging a tree. You don't meet God doing good deeds. You don't meet God being a good person. You, you meet God when you say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And you go to the foot of that cross. And when you go to that cross, you discover what life is all about. You find out what real love is because God so loved the world. I said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I wish I could have gone to Michael. I wish I could have talked to Michael. Her life is so sad. 
We're told that Michael died barren, never having had David's children. Catch this. She was in the house of David, but had no relationship with the David of the house. So there was no fruit from relationship. Children. You can be in a church, but not be in relationship with the Jesus of the church. And so you reach the end of your life with no fruit. The good news is he's as far away as a prayer. He's right there. So Michael teaches us we need to be authentic rather than worry about appearances. Michael teaches us that we need to get into relationship with the God of the house. And don't just say going to the house of God is enough. Michael teaches us that you can be right up to the answer and the truth and miss it. So can we stand together today?